One of the most common buzz questions that I am presented with is, Buzz, your perspective shaping. I want to learn more about what perspective shaping is. What does it mean? How does it work? How do I learn it? So using the Dr. Buzz method, which for those who are unfamiliar, I have an integrative behavioral health system, and there are a number of buckets that I use, that I've created to address people's overall integrative function. So I call it the biopsychosocial, spiritual, functional, structural, occupational model. And I know that sounds like a lot, but when you think about all those buckets, it's really a conglomeration of all the different angles or ways that your body is really able to survive with immunity or resilience. At the same time, it's all the different ways your body can suffer from all the different directions of insults as well. So to avoid stress, we need to be resilient. We have to have immunity. One of the buckets has perspective shaping. Now, it could be seen as a psychological, because biopsycho, psycho meaning short for psychological. So in the psychological category, because it touches emotion, perspective shaping could be in biological, because it takes on your senses, or it could be social, happens in social realms, spiritual in the way that you feel about things that you value, functional, because it has to do with skill and process, structural, because your structural determines the level of stress that you may absorb, and occupational. And occupational has to not only do with skill, but it has to do with your overall um, uh, maneuverability or manipulability that you are utilizing to tactfully handle, manage, and shape things. So, When we look at perspective shaping, which, by the way, is this is my vernacular, this is my model, and I created this model because people believe what they perceive. So think about that. People are, people manifest behavior in the way they take in information. People make choices based on the way that they perceive situations. People make critical decisions based on how they feel. So when you look at our five senses, and I'm just giving you the general senses, touch, sight, taste, hearing, smelling. When you look at the five senses, in neuroscience, we talk about the sixth sense, which is the sense of thought. Now, I know I don't want to get into into this big debate about thinking, but in neuroscience, a lot of people believe that that's the sixth sense of thought. And I have this other sense, maybe the seventh sense, which is just your general feeling where you, all these senses kind of work together. And, and as they work together, they create this seventh sense, which allows you to take in feelings or senses of, if you're ready for this, ready? Suspicion, curiosity. How about even paranoia. Like, what is paranoia? Are you touching something that makes you paranoid? Are you seeing it, tasting it, hearing it, smelling it? Like, where does that come from? It's your body sense. Or how about from your gut? How about even the sense of anticipation? So when we think about even just suspicion, just because we're suspicious doesn't mean we're right. So we know people who suffer trauma are commonly suspicious to the point where they become paranoid. We're 
people who've been burned a little bit, maybe they're not traumatized. A lady who was cheated on by her man. And now she has a sensitivity of little things that remind her of that experience that she had. And then she has this slight suspicion that's not dirty, angry, grimy. And it's not necessarily resentful or looking for retribution, but it's enough suspicion for her to say, I really believe that my husband is not being genuine to me. Now, her friends may say, you know, who, Bob? Bob would never cheat on you. Are you kidding me? I mean, Bob's such a good guy. And the wife herself is saying, I just can't imagine that my husband would cheat on me. But she has this sense. And when you think about that sense, is it touch, sight, taste, hearing, and smelling? And the answer is no. It comes from her gut. How many times have we said, listeners, I could feel it in my gut. The gut, which really drives 80% of the neurotransmitters of your brain's function, these neurotransmitters that exist in your brain, if all this stuff is being developed and manipulated in your gut and it works its way into your brain, then maybe your gut is a sense, right? All this gut function. And I'm not suggesting that, but there's definitely this kind of sixth and seventh sense that really needs to be noted because, because when you perceive something, your perception is how you take in information. So if I perceive it's cold in my home and my wife comes in and tells me in her perception it's hot, well, who's right or who's wrong? Now, we could get into a full-blown-out argument over this, and I'm saying to her, are you crazy? Like, I can see my breath while we're watching TV. And she says, look at me, I'm sweating. Now, does that mean her body is telling her the wrong thing? Does it mean that, she, uh, you know, I'm seeing things when I see my breath? I mean, what's going on here? And when you really, really dig into this, listeners, you have to believe that your perception is real to you. And although it could be real, and although it could be accurate, there's also a chance that it's not accurate. For example, a war veteran comes home from being overseas, and he is traumatized, and he has all this very disturbing content in his brain that took place from being at war. And as noble and as valiant and as valued he is as being this war veteran who's, you know, stood for our country and he put his time in and he missed his family and he was doing all this to defend the integrity of our country. He comes back to our country and he's at risk. So one day, you know, he flies off the handle because his stress hormones have not adjusted to being in normal environments. He's so used to either being shot at or used to being commanded to or not being allowed to sleep because he is at risk 24 hours a day. So he is now hypervigilant and all these stress hormones are now calibrated and stuck in a very, well, you know what? Let me use a layman's way so I'm not getting too neuroscientific with you guys. The, The on switch stays on in his endocrine system and his cortisol levels, which is your fight or flight, are turned on overload. And you can't just shut this cortisol off. So just because he left a foreign country doesn't mean 
where he was being, where he had to defend himself doesn't mean that just because he's in a different geographic location that his stress hormones just turn off. They, it just doesn't work that way. So his brain perceives that he's still at risk, even though he's in safe territory. So while he's home one day, he hears a car backfire at his neighbor's house and he dives behind a couch. He screams at his wife to also dive behind the couch and she has not because she doesn't perceive the car backfiring in the same means or manner that he perceives that same information. Now, some people would say, hey, listen, he heard that information and because he has heard similar content, that bang of a noise, it reminded him of a gunshot. But when you break it down, ladies and gentlemen, it really wasn't a gunshot. So he perceived it as being a gunshot. So when you think of that, his perception was a threatening noise. I need everyone to absorb this. It was a threatening noise. So because the noise created a sense of threat, which goes into my seventh sense, right? It's just that feeling. And maybe it comes from the gut. We don't know, right? We really don't know. But because he perceived it as such, well, does that make it right? Because he and his wife could be arguing over whether that was a gunshot or that was a backfire of a vehicle. And what do you think is going to happen when his stress hormones are turned on and can't turn off and his wife is trying to reason with him, honey, that was a backfire. And he, in his survival instinct with extreme levels of cortisol, is screaming at his wife because she's not being safe or she's not protecting him by making sure that he's not getting shot at. And now he pulls out a gun and now his anger gets turned towards her. Or... He is so extra aggravated or elevated or scared, frightened, panicked, paranoid that he turns the gun onto the neighbor. So when you think about perception, perception is a fascinating, fascinating concept. I, re- I remember working with a young boy and his father talked very loud. He was just a loud guy. And the reason why he talked loud which I can appreciate, I have, I'm hard of hearing, is his dad was almost deaf. So he perceived that if he couldn't hear, no one else could hear. So we would talk really loud. So his son says to him, Dad, why are you always yelling at me? And the dad was so offended, and I witnessed this. His dad was so offended that the dad got in this little boy's face with his index finger pointing in this little boy's scared eyes and said, You think I'm yelling at you? You haven't heard yelling. Because the dad was a kid who was insulted and terrorized by his own parents, particularly his father, when he was a kid, of being, he was always yelled at by his dad. It took his dad back to his own childhood memory and it changed the kid, the dad's perception. It went, if the, if the, if the son could say to the father, dad, When you talk to me with your voice loud, it makes me feel like you're yelling at me. And you do that a lot. So I always feel like you're accidentally or involuntarily yelling at me. But that's not the way the dad perceived the information. The dad perceived the information 
feeling or interpreting, which is what perception is, it's interpretation, that the little boy was like the father's father. Hey, you have failed again, Dad. You know, you have failed. You are always yelling at me. You have failed as a parent. And the dad becomes the dad's father. And he ruins his son. And I brought this to the father's attention. I separated him from the kid. And I said, what what, what are you doing? And he says, did you hear my son trying to be the parent? How dare him? And I said, sir, your son is perceiving that you're loud and in his interpretation. All right, so ready? The son's perception, which perception is how do you take the information in? So he takes the information in and your son feels frightened when you talk loud to him. And he says to me, but that's not what my son said. So it shouldn't be this five-year-old boy's responsibility to have to shape the information for his dad, is it? And unfortunately, that's what I ended up partially having to do. But because the dad is disturbed from the way that his own father talked to him and treated him, his perception of the the father's perception is I'm being talked down to by my five-year-old son. Now, once you get past perception, it turns into your perspective, which is once you perceive it. So for the father, he was being put down. For the kid, he was feeling threatened. The father feeling put down puts it in perspective so that the perspective then becomes what do you do with the information? So if the father feels like he's being put down, the father defended himself, which is what he always wanted to do for, with his own dad. And he never had the integrity, the strength to do it. For this five-year-old boy being the receiver to the father, it was very easy for the dad. He was actually recovering from the insults of his dad by making his son the father and putting the son down. And the the son shouldn't have to tolerate this. He shouldn't go through this. He's traumatizing his son. But it was by accident. It was all by accident because the father's perception was, I'm being talked down to. And then his perspective was, I need to stand up for myself. I've never been able to do this. I will not tolerate this again. The son is saying, hey, dad, I'm perceiving when because you're always yelling. I feel like I'm wrong. I'm being a bad kid and I really don't think I'm being bad. And you're scaring me like you really get revved up. And his revved upness was just being loud. And what does the father do? He blasts his kid and confirms to the kid, you know, you're, you're a bad boy. You, you should not be talking to me this way. And if you do, this is what you're going to get. So, you know, some people, psychoanalysts, could really get into this in this really Freudian way and start talking about, like, the dad is becoming his dad and, you know, whatever. And there's truth to that. But the point that I'm making is, is the little boy wasn't wrong and either was the father and the way that they felt It's the way that you take your perception and put it into perspective is not always accurate. All right, so let me create that definition. You bring the information in is your perception. And you can take it in, I say, seven different ways. There's actually a lot more than that. But let's just, for the the purpose of this, for this presentation, let's just say seven. So you have touch, sight, taste, hearing, smell. Then I also gave you thought because we store memories that shape the way we perceive things. And then we have this last one, which is the gut perception. 
you know, so we have this, my gut was telling me, I could feel it in my gut. So once we perceive it, we, we, we really define it as something. We create this pedagogy to that. We create this kind of, um, like a title, a categorical title. Was it threatening? Was it scary? Was it sad? Was it hopeless? Was it helpless? So was it traumatic? Did I have a feeling of disparity? Was it stressful? Was it, was it distressing? That perception defines that pedagogy, that categorical title. And that now takes it into a channel that then says, what am I going to do with this information? And we create a perspective. Now, it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting to see what happens when people's perspective is not accurate. So if you perceive it, you perceive it. If I feel that it's cold in the room, it's cold to me. Now, I could look at the temperature gauge or the thermometer or what have you, and we, we could, you know, do all kinds of, use all kinds of devices to try to figure out what the temperature is. But if I'm still feeling cold, it's freaking cold in here, right? That's how we, that's how we, uh, we argue our point. If I feel like I'm innocent, I'm freaking innocent. Like, you're going to have to buy into that. I'm telling you, I'm innocent. If I thought I was quiet, I'm quiet. If I felt threatened, you got to stop threatening me. If I feel like you cheated, you're no good. I can tell that you're lying. That's what perception does because we get that feeling of, think of the pedagogy, the feeling, the categorical title. I feel threatened. I feel jealous. I feel scared. I feel abandoned, whatever it is. But then what do we do with it? Where it gets tricky is what we do with that information is really where we put it into our perspective. So we kind of put it into our, our channel, right? And, and that channel, when you look at Buzz's biopsychosocial, spiritual, functional, structural, occupational model, it now goes into one or more of those buckets and it's going to now shape what we're going to do with that information. Because if I feel fearful, I may run. My cortisol levels go up, bam, I'm out of here. If I feel angry, I might fight. Next thing you know, I'm swinging. My cortisol levels go up, blood rushes to my hands, I'm swinging. If I'm a karate guy, I might swing and kick. If I'm a guy that wishes to fight but I don't have great fighting skills, I swing once or twice and I run like hell. If I am fearful and I don't know what to do, I fidget. I pace back and forth and I twiddle my hair, right? People twirl their hair when they're nervous. I bite my nails. I pick my fingers. Uh, I juggle the change in my pocket. I twirl my keys. If I am really scared and I freeze, right, just like from 300 million years ago, you have an animal that's preying on you and you're scared and you freeze, the animal might think you're dead. So here we are 300 million years to the present and that's what we do. We go into this, you know, almost like this trance where we can't move, but that's how the brain and the anatomy was developed. So we are kind of playing dead. Uh, when you think about Columbine, the kids that survived that were in the classroom where other kids were shot and killed pretended that they were shot and killed and they didn't get shot. So freezing is not a bad thing. So they took their fear and their perspective was, hey, I'm fearful to survive this, which is what I got to do with this information. And this becomes now, think about Buzz's model, my function. It's my functional behavior, my purpose, my skill, my response, or it could be my reaction. 
depending on what the anatomical function is. Or as Buzz's seven buckets suggest, what is my biological function? So I'm using this because I train people how to shape their perception. Now, I I have a couple, you know, I have a sequence that we go through, and we could really be on this presentation for hours because there's just so many examples that we could use to describe what this is, how it works, and what everyone's experiences are. But what I want to share with you is to develop the knowledge and understanding and using the Dr. Buzz method, which is understand that just because you perceive something some way doesn't actually, although it's true to you, although it's true, and although it's real, it doesn't necessarily mean that the measurement of that perception is accurate. So follow that. Just because that's how you feel doesn't mean that it's accurate. And there are people who will fight to their death to argue the point that they are right and everyone else is wrong. And unfortunately, these people commonly suffer major consequences. Now, major consequences could be good consequences, bad consequences, because they believe they're right. Think about how many successful people on this planet who were told that they were wrong fought for their perception and perspective on something and ultimately... We're right. Think about that. We hear these success stories. That's on the positive. On the negative, think about how many people will argue that they're right. They end up in jail. You know, they end up getting shot. They they end up losing a friend, losing a relationship. They just end up losing because their perception was not accurate. So, I'm sorry, their perspective was not accurate. Their perception and the way they feel was accurate. If you feel frightened, you're frightened. But we have to look at the qualitative and quantitative value to perception. People, particularly people that I have, you know, treat, work with, um, assist, help, support. One of the greatest tools in my toolbox, the Dr. Buzz method, is perspective shaping. I try and I work my backside off to try to get people and and I have such success with this. And I have, you know, my, my favorite stories are little kids training little kids to be able to say, I, you know, I know, I know, even though I think it's cold in here, I know there's a chance it might not be really cold in here because I know that someone else might think it's warm, but and they ask somebody, could you tell me what how you feel that it is in here temperature-wise? And it's a beautiful thing because what they're saying is, I'm inviting people to have a different pers- perspective on this. And if your perception is the same, great. But if your perspective then is different, you want to turn the heat up and I want to turn it down. Like, you know, we got we to gotta figure this out. We got to work it out. You know, good team management is all about taking into account that People have different perceptions and it's going to manipulate their perspective. Now, your perceptions have everything to do with your biopsychosocial, spiritual, functional, structural, and occupational developmental experience. We've all grown up with, you know, different ways, you know, just from the time you were born. Everyone's prenatal care was, 
you know, not exact and everyone was delivered could be differently. And everyone's delivery was a different experience and everyone's microbiome from their mother was different. And everyone's prenatal and natal postnatal care was different. Everyone's childhood development was different. Everyone grew up in a different household, different culture, different religion, different socioeconomic status, all these differences, you're male versus female. You're one of six kids. You're the only child you're adopted. You're biological, blah, 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 all the way up until the day you know, you really need your perception to either save your life or to win you the game or to earn you the spot. And all of that history comes into play is into how you perceive stuff. So, you know, if you're someone who's suffered trauma, you know, you may have a stress perception. You know, someone says, Hey man, where'd you get that shirt? And a guy person who's been traumatized by being bullied and picked on. He never wore nice clothes. They were always hand-me-downs. He's very sensitive to that. And he looks at the guy that asked him where he got those clothes and says, who the F are you talking to? Where'd you get those clothes? You know, look at your clothes, man. Would you, would you go to the Goodwill to buy those clothes? And you know, for me personally, I was a kid to, I always had hand-me-downs. I grew up very poor and went to the goodwill. So for me, you know, I look at it as, you know, that, that, that wouldn't affect me as much, but for somebody else that was sensitive to that, it might affect them a lot. So their perception then their changes their perspective and they want to, because the perception was, Hey, he's putting me down because it reminds me of when I was a kid and being bullied, it changes the perspective, which means the person may react versus respond to the situation. I never had value to clothes when I was young, which is interesting because I have value to clothes now that I'm older and I love clothes. If I could spend all my money on clothes, I would. But someone says to me, hey, where'd you get that shirt? I immediately assume they like it. So, I, you know, I say to people, oh, you like it? And I, I'll have people commonly say, well, it's not that I don't like it, but it doesn't match your pants because I, Dr. Buzz, am colorblind and I'm notorious for wearing clothes that don't match. But I just assume everyone likes what I wear. I think I have pretty cool clothes. But, you know, because I like them, I perceive something happy. And I just, my perspective is, well, if I like them, then you must like them. And that's not always true. So we all bring this very complicated territory to the table. And as we bring it to the table, and it really influences our lifestyle, our occupational style, our relationships, our future, the way we parent our own kids, the way we dictate ourselves in our communities, the way we either hold ourselves accountable or even don't hold ourselves accountable. A lot has to do with perception and perspective. So what I want to do is give you a couple tools through this episode that'll teach you how perspective shaping works. Because I commonly see people, particularly fighting in politics, who perceive something a certain way, and I'm watching, and I'm not a big political guy, but I'll watch like, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats sometimes have the same type of perception of some sort of content, but because they don't want to agree with each other, because they perceive they're they're not on the same team because they're on two separate teams, they then the, per, the 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 perspective changes, and then instead of allowing themselves to say, "Yeah, I guess I'm kind of seeing it the same way," they have to find another way to argue about it. 
But then they'll both be on TV later saying, we all need to be on the same team. Well, that's their goal. But if they would allow someone to manipulate and train them on how to change their perception so they could then manipulate and change their perspective, this could be a better place. You know, another sensitive topic is police. You know, if a police officer was assaulted by a young male at the age of, you know, and and the male was 18 years old and he was, you know, 6'7", 350 pounds, Caucasian, and he got overtaken by that male and almost lost his life, in the future, any male that represents or resembles those details of the male who almost took his life, the police officer's life, would really have a major impact on that officer's perception. So he, the, the police officer may overreact because his perspective is, whether it's um, conscious or subconscious or unconscious, is that the details of that same type of person has led me to be either fearful or stressed out about someone who has those same type of characteristics. Or a police officer who pulls a car over late at 3 o'clock in the morning on a dark road that has no streetlights, and there's five men in the car, and the police officer pulls him over and asks the driver, can I please see your license registration? And the driver shoots at the officer. And let's say the officer got shot but survives. Now, 10 years later... The police officer is on a dark road at three in the morning doing a night shift and he pulls over a car that reminds him of that car 10 years ago and he sees multiple people on the inside of the car. And immediately his perception is not that this is a random pullover because the car was speeding. It turns into, I better get my gun out ahead of time because my perception is that this is threatening. This is life-changing. This could be something that could be turned into a tragedy. And his perspective is, is that I gotta, I have to react versus respond because it's the only way I'm going to survive a similar situation. It could be football players on a football field. The last time this happened, we lost the game. So what I'm going to do this time is I'm going to get more fired up. I'm going to be more aggressive. So that way I have a better chance of winning the game. And if anyone sees or knows that if you're in a football game, being more aggressive doesn't necessarily lead or mean that you're going to have a better chance of winning the game. If anything, people that get become more aggressive become less skilled, which is why the greatest athletes of all time are typically people who are emotionally intelligent when they are competing, not necessarily emotionally or behaviorally aggressive. So what do we do with this? I mean, this is really complicated territory for many people. So the first thing I want to do to walk you through a couple steps of my perspective shaping model as part of the Dr. Buzz method is use one last example. So the relay station in your brain is called the thalamus. And the thalamus is going to decide when your senses bring in information, all that information gets 
gets sent to your thalamus. And quickly, your thalamus, within a millisecond, is deciding what the heck are we going to do with this information. And it could send the information to your frontal lobes, which is your prefrontal cortex, where you could think and you could plan and you could pull whatever tools that you've been trained out of your toolbox and that you can um, forecast and you can manipulate and really come up with something that's dis- you know decisive or divisive that's going to allow you to benefit in a responsible fashion. Or it could send the signals down to your limbic system and have you react using the fight, flight, freeze, or fidget. And hopefully it works out. Hopefully you don't end up in trouble. Hopefully when you got pulled over and you just panicked because you've never been pulled over before, so you take off when the cop is approaching, walking up to your car, and you just panicked, so now you're in a high-speed chase and you didn't mean it, which is a reaction that some people go through. Hopefully that doesn't happen, which is why we train people. But let's look at the typical person. So many people, the greater part of the world, like the 99th percentile, will say when they really feel passionate. What's the what definition of passionate? Emotional. When they really feel emotional with something, they'll fight for their passion. They will fight for what they believe. They're resistant to take on new information because their brain is telling them, if you feel this way, you are right. So let's use the brain and let's make it synonymous to the alarm system, smoke alarm system in your house. So as you're listening to this, I want your brain right now to be the smoke alarm system in your house. So the smoke alarm goes off, and when it goes off, it activates your sympathetic nervous system, which includes your endocrine system, so you got all these hormones firing off, right? So your your thalamus fires your pituitary, your pituitary hits your adrenals, your adrenals firing off cortisol, cortisol's really got your blood pressure, your heart rate, everything firing, your respiratory rate, you're having problems breathing, so your mouth's wide open, and your, your, your eyes get dilated, and everything is fired up because you are in survivor mode. So if your brain is doing that, even when you hear the phone ring, your phone rings and you look and it's your mother, and your mother has been sick, and the last time you were called by your mother when she was sick, you had to call 911 to help her because she was dying, but you saved her. Now you see she's calling you again, and that's where your brain goes. So your vitals are f- flying off the handle, and immediately you get this pressured conversation with your mom. Mom, what's going on? What's wrong? What do you need? What do you need? And your mother now gets offended. Why? I'm your mother. You're not asking me, hi, how are you? What's, you know, how you doing? And it can turn in this little bit of banter. So the brain is remembering this other example and, you know, this experience from before and it fires off all these memory reactions and you have all this sympathetic stuff going on. Well, your alarm system might have been true, right? So your alarm, that thalamus fires off the signal and it's true. Your mom does need something. Your mom is needy right now. Your mother did call you because something was important. And she says, listen, it snowed, and this would be my mother, you know, could you come over and help me get my car out of the snow? Could you help me shovel the front step? 
And she is hurting. She is needy. She is helpless. She can't do it herself. So it is true, my perception, that my mother was in need of me. But here's the key, everybody. But my alarm system really wasn't all that accurate. She wasn't dying. She didn't have three minutes to live. It wasn't a 911 call. Death wasn't certain. It wasn't going to be tragic. So why? Why? Why do we, as human beings, get all fired up and allow this to happen to us? We're smart people. We are skilled. We don't do this with other people's kids. We do it with our own kids. I don't do it with my friend's wife, but I do it with my own wife. And when you think about that, our perception was accurate. Yeah, there's a problem. But the perspective was not accurate. It's like the smoke alarm goes off and it's a four alarm fire. And immediately, I'm telling everyone, abandon the house. When in reality, if I could just take a second and find out what the source of the urgency is, not emergency, urgency, what the source of the need is, what the precursor signal is that is creating my perception, I would learn that the alarm in my house, in fact, did go off because there was a good reason for it to go off, which was my daughter lit a match to burn an incense on the second floor. But it wasn't accurate. It was true that there was fire. But it wasn't accurate that we needed four fire companies come to put that out. This is what happens to us as human beings when we overreact, when we become too emotional, when we find ourselves so passionate that we become so rigid and inflexible that we don't have the emotional intelligence or the emotional integrity to even do what's best for ourselves. Some people can say we went in survivor mode. I became, my function became limbically driven. I was in a cortisol moment. I went into a fight or flight. I went into some sort of defensive strategy. Whatever you want to call it, We have to shape our perception responsibly or you will forever be a victim of your perception. This happens all day long, all the time, and it's sad because when the boy, the young man, was coming home and didn't want his parents to know that he was coming home after they thought he was already home in bed and the door locked at 12 o'clock, he tried climbing through his window to get in his bedroom so they wouldn't find out that he was late, and the dad ended up shooting him, thinking that someone was breaking into his room to abduct the child or to harm the family. So where do we go with this? I mean, it doesn't always have to be so tragic. It could be as simple as the boss saying to me, I, I need to meet with you tomorrow. And it's, an, it's a very important that we meet before you leave work. Now the person loses sleep all night, doesn't eat breakfast in the morning, their stomach is like inside out, and then they can't function at work tomorrow. And we find out that the boss just wants to talk about maybe a couple things that were done that were right, they were wrong, they were great, they could be better, but it was an unthreatening meeting. But it was the way that the boss said it felt ominous or foreboding. And the person who was the receiver has a whole 
biological, psychological, social, spiritual, functional, structural, occupational history, developmental history of negatives that when a superior has that kind of conversation with the person, could start with the father, could have been teacher, could have been a football coach, whatever it is, means that it's going to be something that's negative and life-changing. So let's use Dr. Buzz's method and, and I'm proud of this method. I, I want people, I do, I'm doing these podcasts so people do not have to come see me to earn, to earn or learn this information. I want people to run with it. I want you to learn. I want you to have healthier lives. I want wellness for people. I don't want people held hostage or as I have clients that say when they start with me, I'm inside my head too much. I can't get outside of my head. And I know what it is. They, their compass, the compass in their head is so, so fragile. And the fragility creates vulnerability. And then the vulnerability, once it's tapped, creates volatility. And it creates all kinds of madness where people just can't feel settled. And then their moods are all over the place. And then they don't trust. And then they spike with cortisol that doesn't allow them to sleep. And if they go to the local doctor or psychiatrist, they're going to be diagnosed with bipolar. And when in reality is... Their compass is sensitive. It's the biopsychosocial, spiritual, functional, structural, occupational information. We got to look at it. The, the human being is the hub of a wheel, a motorcycle wheel. And then that biopsychosocial, spiritual, functional, structural, occupational are all spokes that influence that hub. It just influences it. So let's walk, let's walk through it. And because there's going to be more podcasts on this, and I'm going to make everyone here a warrior, not a warrior. I want to make create resilience and immunity for people so they're not walking around fragile and scared or temperamental and easily upset. So the first thing we always do when we take in the perception and it seems negative or threatening is we breathe. We breathe in through the nose. We breathe out the mouth. We breathe in through the nose because it humidifies the air. We breathe out the mouth because it allows our cortisol levels to reduce or go down. Your breathing out should be twice as long as you're breathing in through your nose. Then we take time to process that information. If you don't give it a couple seconds, you're going to react. Give your Let the information from the thalamus go to your frontal lobes, not to your limbic system. Let it bypass your cortisol. Let it just go to your frontal lobes where you can forecast the outcome before you make a decision. If you can even grab it long enough, write it down and use it. Use a different sense. Use that information multiple ways. Look at it. When you heard it and it seemed hurtful, write it down. Now use your visual sense with your auditory sense. And when you are manipulating it, when you're manipulating this information, make sure your manipulation includes looking in the mirror and saying it to yourself, putting it in a, on your phone, playing it back to yourself, walking around with it for a few minutes unless it's a life-altering, life-threatening situation, which is why our brains were wired to fight and flight. You really want to use the idea of responding versus reacting to these perceptions. And next step would be get another person's perception in their perspective. Because when someone else perceives it differently, ask them why. And then when they give you their perspective, like they'll say something like, well, I don't see it as threatening. I see it. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit stressful, but I would ask the person why they said that to you. Whereas maybe I perceived it as threatening and I'm ready to kick that guy's butt. 
And I would say, why? How did you perceive it that way? And by sharing, I get a different point of view, a different perception, a different perspective. And then the next would be, you have to consider that your perception still might not be accurate, even though it feels true to you. So use the smoke alarm. So then when you share it with somebody that can support you and help you manipulate your perspective, say to another, listen, I know my perception might not be accurate, even though it feels true to me. I know I'm sensitive about men. So I want a professional perspective on this. Now we have to hope that the person who's given you their perspective doesn't have your same issues, right? So we got to, you might want to sample or survey a few different people, but you know, a good counselor, you know, someone from your religious affiliation, a mature person you can rely on. I know my parents were always very truthful to me, which sometimes I would be regretful of that as, as a youngster, but as an adult, I'm the same way with my kids. I think they deserve the truth. I have a great way of breaking it down for them so it doesn't feel like they're getting their butt kicked. I can validate them like, hey, listen, I'm sorry you feel this way, but the truth is blank. I'm sorry that this is going to hurt your feelings, but this is the reality to this situation. So, you know, but by getting other people's perspectives can really create a lot of light to know that either you are in the right direction, but not perfectly accurate, or I understand where you're coming from, but I have a different technique you, you could use, or, you know, I could see why you'd feel this way, be based on your upbringing. We really want to walk people through, if you're the professional, the biological, the psychological, the social, spiritual, functional, structural, occupational buckets that can influence this. And if you are the receiver, you know, if someone's working with you and you're that person, Walk them through. Just say, what do you think could be influencing all this stuff? I, I can't tell you how many people, I, you know, I walk them through it and I say, you're not sleeping, man. No wonder you're stressed out and you can't handle anyone's feedback. You're, you're deprived of sleep. Or the big one, you're dehydrated. Of course your body's going to freak out. You don't have any water in your system. I mean, that's just basic, simple stuff that I run into daily, but it's the truth. So, what does it all mean? Let me put it in summary. Because I appreciate everyone listening to this podcast because because perspective shaping can change your life. It can make you a less stressed person. You know, God gave me a lot of benefits and a lot of great gifts as a person, but also ran me through all kinds of trials and tribulations as a kid, you know, and I suffered trauma forever and went to college for a million years trying to figure it out. And I feel just so lucky and just so blessed to be able to have these tools that I can deliver to you. I want you guys to use it to have ways to respond to things that just feel very stressful to you so that you are not living a stressful, reactive, unhappy life. I want wellness. I want people to feel satisfied. I want people to think that there's a chance that you just might be stressed, not always mentally ill. I mean, we all have some sort of, you know, mental health symptom. And I'm a big mental health. I mean, I went to school for this stuff. I'm just saying that stress is a big driver. And sometimes we just need to re, we just need to sit down and appreciate our value system. Stare at the dog that's in your house that looks at you and wags his tail every time you come home and just think about how much he thinks you're the greatest thing that lives on this planet. Think about how valuable that is. So 
let's go through the buckets. Let's breathe. Let's take time to process. Let's write it down. Let's come up with multiple ways to figure out how else can I process this so it doesn't feel so personal. Let's get another person's perspective. Let's assume that we're, the information is true. It just might not be perfectly accurate. So I need another person's support so we can shape this together so I can live a happy life with wellness and share my love and my vitality with everyone who I'm close to. And for all my listeners, I'm sharing it with you because even if we don't know each other, I want people to be just to live the gift of having an opportunity to do what's best for themselves and to be grateful for everything that we have. 